this episode of Please Be Advised, Greg, Rebecca, and Cynthia will discuss non-disclosure agreements and what they mean for you and your business. Speaking of Donald Trump. Speaking of. <laughs> yeah. Who wants to talk about the non-disclosure agreement for Omarosa? For Wacky Omarosa. Give us a little background. A little background. Um, so the president, Donald, was it Donald J. Trump? He's Donald John. Not Donald my, John, right? Not my president. Donald John, not my president. Um, well, this is interesting. So she has her, her book that's going around, obviously. Um, but apparently there was a non-disclosure agreement. But I'm reading now that she was offered a $15,000 a month job with the Trump re-election campaign after being fired from her White House job last December, but this job required her to sign a non-disclosure agreement. This is a claim by Amorosa, but would a non-dis- verified by the New York Post, by the way. But with the non-disclosure agreement, so, she, they're, so they're saying she can't talk. Well, the White House is claiming that she signed a non-disclosure but agreement that- during the campaign which carries over to her leaving public I mean, office. Of course, like any agreement, you have to read it um, mm-hmm. and see what the definition of confidential right. information is, which um, that's true. And you know, means. always has certain exclusions. Assuming mm-hmm. you know, it was properly negotiated, it has term limits, it has expansions, it has you know, and whether certain things fit into the definition. Um, but I think the bigger question that everyone's debating is. Um, in a private context, mm-hmm. um, when you are a private employee and you're a private contractor, you can um, negotiate away rights left and right. You can agree to things. But as a, she was not employed by Donald J. Trump in in her capacity as um, when she worked for the White House. So information that was disclosed to her in that capacity was not disclosed to her by Donald Trump. It was by the United States of America. Well, there are experts that are saying that this non-disclosure agreement is not valid exactly. because she's a public employee. But, but wait, be, did she sign it after she left the White House, though? No, 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 no. Oh, okay, she signed it before. She, according to the White House, all members of the West Wing signed a non-disclosure agreement while they were in the campaign. Mm-hmm. But th- th- so th- now why, that why would that leaves, carry over to the White House? Well, that's the question. Oh, it doesn't. It doesn't. Well, well... Experts are claiming that the courts will have to decide that. But I mean, a part of it, the information she's disclosing, who does it belong to? Whose information is it? Who has a right to object to it? I mean, if it is, you know, um, confidential information of Donald Trump, or is it, you know, information, uh, you know, that belongs to the government as her employer disclosed to her by the government in a sense so that, um, you know, you know, and it's information of public concern, and you can't. That's a you know a, a sort of um, certain. Con- you can't con- contract around. Well, be- beyond you know, the legalities of her alleged agreement, how do we feel about non-disclosure agreements in business? And and maybe let us know about some of the legalities on that. Um, I mean, in a business context, they're absolutely a hundred percent necessary and um, necessary or legal. And legally enforceable. There's various different contexts. There's the employment context, um, where you have most employers always have them with their employees. And a lot of times, it's more to protect their clients' information than it is their own. Um, 
but sometimes they can be used as weapons in terms of indirect non-competes or non-solicitation. You have this concept of inevitable disclosure that um, if you go work for, even if you didn't sign a non-compete, as long as you have an NDA, if you go somewhere else that's a competitor, there's no way that you're not using the confidential information that you learned here. You know, so we're going to use that to enforce. So as an attorney, you think that non-disclosure agreements are good? Um, I mean, I, they're different contexts. I, who are you representing? Um, I guess as an attorney, you know, just whose perspective. But um, I don't like them to be used as weapons in an employment context. I don't like any non-competes in general in an employment context. Um, and I think that particularly when you have employment at will, the idea that, you know, unless you're talking about going from Coke to Pepsi and stealing the secret sauce, um, get over it. Um, well, can you tell us a little the difference between a non-disclosure and a non-compete? So um, a non-compete basically says you cannot work for within a certain time after you leave, you can't work for a direct competitor. They're generally only enforceable within a limited geographic range and um, limited time. It varies by state. There are a few states who won't enforce them in any context. So is that similar to what happened with Live Nation? I believe it was Live Nation previously. Um, I mean, there's certainly some of those concerts. Yeah, there's also oh, that, okay, so that's that's um, also with the the radius. Yes. Um, a lot of artists when they book a festival or they do something like that, they say um, they agree within so many months after this festival, you won't book another festival within this geographic. Mm radius um and they're generally defined on you know in terms of deciding what radius is reasonable traditionally they looked at well you know where is this business operating and who is really likely to be a competitor but it gets distorted when now almost every business has a much broader national if not international scope in which they do business so you have some of these massive saying anywhere in the united states or europe you know or something like that where you've you've made it ridiculous and they say well that's really where our competitors are our competitor you know used to be your competitors were in a more localized um, place and then the idea was it's a reasonable restriction because if think about if you're in a small town and there's two bagel stores in the town um, and people have a choice between two bagel stores if you leave one bagel store and you go to the other bagel store and you tell them this is the what they how they make their bagels so much better than your bagels it really has potential to hurt that business and and take away I mean a significant amount and they're like we taught you how to make this bagel and now you've stolen that I mean you know and that's it's really and you had situations in the past where people would send people to go work for someone else on the idea learn their secrets and come back but it gets very distorted now when you have the competition landscape is not like that people have a lot more choices they have a lot more Opportunities and employers can take advantage of that to try to overreach with these um, things. And then, of course, it becomes too limiting on the person. What are you crazy? Like, what do I do? I book concerts or I book, and you're telling me Live Nation out of nothing in the state of California. I mean, you know, and they're like, well, that's our business. We have offices all over California. And they were able to show a presence in various states, you know, so we could say, you know, and we're, we want to sell a concert where people in California want to see you if they have multiple options to see you at all these concerts in any week they have less of a reason to come to our concert so so tell me really quickly non-disclosure the difference so non-disclosure is just about information and it's how you define information and you have to be very careful in the agreement sometimes people say confidential information is only a written document where i wrote the word confidential on it oh. or 
um, an oral conversation that we have where I identified it as confidential at oh, that okay. time and followed up with a written memo saying the conversation we had on July 15th was confidential. This can become, you know, extremely important, particularly obviously in any M&A type context or even, you know, let's just say what happened with Elon Musk recently and, I mean, it's a little bit different, but he was at his house with his girlfriend and there was another girl girlfriend is some rapper and she had another girl who's apparently eavesdropping in the background hearing them talking about tesla and taking it private and she went out publicly and was like these people don't know what they're doing and he made up some bullshit and said we're taking it private and then said he had a, it's a violation of sec rules when you're a public company to sort of make false statements and he said funding security tweeted that he didn't have the funding and went on a you know, whatever and she came out and said that um you know when you have a business and even if you're kind of talking to someone about maybe selling that business or maybe and your employees find out about that you know or markets react i mean there are major consequences you have to have methods of protecting information mm -hmm. um you know your trade secrets the things that make you competitive as a business and also that protect your business from mutinies from false information you know from so you, you certainly need you know um to have and so businesses can collaborate and not steal each other's information um you know protections in place um non-disclosure agreements but um you know in a and they're give people the freedom in the same way it's the same logic if we didn't have attorney client privilege the whole thing wouldn't work because clients would be afraid to tell their attorneys things and then their attorneys couldn't properly protect them mm -hmm. you know all of that um, and so, you know, you need to have protections for information. But the, the idea is, um, you know, the context in which they're used. Um, and I think that, in general, people have a very... The public doesn't understand them um, in terms of, you know, their... Uh, is this restricting... Uh, we have free speech. We have free speech. How can you, you know... And it, um, there's a very big difference between a commercial context and um, a public right to know and information and journalism and all of that and then also um, I think it's slightly different when it's about um, employment and when it's about um, yeah employment is the issue so that's where that's where it gets it gets icky so Rebecca as a lifelong <laughs> employee as a lifelong employee all your years for, for a decade earth. of working <laughs> And for your future, how do you feel about non-disclosure and non-compete? I mean, like, it makes sense in the context of... Uh, makes sense in the context of, like, my... Our clients' work. Like, I'm not going to go... If I go and work at a different law firm, I'm not going to talk about our clients and their what's going on with their agreements and what record labels and publishing and distribution. Like, I'm not going to go talk about that. But I feel like with personal matters and in, in relationships between employees, there shouldn't be non-disclosure agreements. That doesn't make any sense. So like say, that's what Trump's been doing though. Trump's been saying you can't talk about anything that we've talked about ever. Right. He's, he's just overbearing. Yeah, he so does. let's say that you as an employee sign a or they try to make you sign a non-compete agreement that says you cannot work for our competitor for a year. After and now that's the only thing that you know how to do and make money. Are you okay with that? I mean doesn't really make any sense. I mean, I guess there's just a level of trust that you'd have to have with people. 
But there is um, no trust. They're making you sign that agreement. No, I and know. I'm saying, why? Why should you? At the end of the day, like, are people like, you, I'm not going to go. Have to you have to. I mean, no, I, I would say there's not one company or one. You know, uh, at a very minimum, you're going to get an NDA. Yeah. Um, and that's just as a company as a what you have to put that in. Now, whether the company chooses to enforce it, right. um, is a totally different. Now, now Cynthia, that's true. Do you think that a non-compete agreement that, in your opinion? that is doesn't allow you to work for a competitor for a year is that enforceable i think think that um in this it's extremely industry specific we have to look at how limited is it how small is your industry how big is your industry what kind of opportunities are there also you know um somewhat geographic scope well let's pretend we have a tech startup okay um, and they, Rebecca's going to work for them in some capacity. I'm at Lyft, and then so I'm working at Uber. To say you can't work for any other tech company is Correct. ridiculous. Okay. To say... Like, I can't go from Lyft to Uber? Yeah. That it's makes not ridiculous. Sense. Yeah, that makes... I agree you with know, that. It has to be narrowly tailored, I think, and... Um, it's not ridiculous? No, I think I that makes think sense. Depending on what your job is. Yeah. Like, so, if I'm customer support, like, yeah, I also go think from it has to be tied to some extent... Now, what to... if that's her? What if that is her expertise, and that's how she makes a living? Well, so, so part now... of the, the question, I think, it has to be tied to um, the, the amount of time you've spent at the company. I think is a good way to do it. I mean, did you have this knowledge before you got here? And this is not something that we Correct. gave you, and you're just continuing on with your like. So it's sort of been um, adjudicated across the board. Non competes for lawyers are unenforceable because you have put the money in your, you know, it's a, a body of law, law school, this is what you do, this is, you know, your profession, you have... Um, you invested in yourself. You've invested and, yeah. in yourself and in the knowledge and in the, the manner of thinking and the way of doing things across is not unique enough in any law firm to say you can't work for another so law So that, that takes me to another idea. What, let's say that she's an attorney mm-hmm. who becomes general counsel for a tech startup and they make her sign a non-compete saying she cannot work for another... The attorneys is different because they also say that the client information is protected by your attorney-client privilege mm-hmm. so that you cannot use that anyway, so that yeah. you therefore don't need a non-compete because you have that. Whereas outside of other professions that do not have attorney-client privilege, you need some protection for the information. But I would say, so you're a software engineer, like you can do... You know, it has to be very, very narrowly, like, whatever, what's your job at Uber? You could maybe, I wouldn't say just because you worked at Uber, you can't work at Lyft. But if you worked at Uber being the person who designs the congestion pricing structure for New York City, you can't be the congestion pricing structure, the exact same job, doing the exact same thing for a direct competitor for a limited period of time is reasonable. I can see that being for marketing, too. Like, if I'm a marketer for Bumble, I can go be a marketer for Tinder. Like, I, mean, I can see and that the being idea somewhere. that you're, like, you're not going... The profession is to be a marketer. Yeah, yeah but marketing. if it's for a direct competitor in yeah. the same market, and I can just say knowing people who work in marketing and have gone from direct competitors, without a doubt, 100%, they're using the techniques and, and part yeah. of what they're getting hired for Oh, 100%. Because we want you to tell us what's going on. What's going on the other side, Yeah. And, and the idea that you're... It's not just a coincidence. Oh, I just so, happened to be applying for this job. Yeah. Like, so for, for business owners, what's the the preferred amount of time for a non-compete? I mean, the maximum enforceability is generally understood to be two years. That's a long. Two years, wow. Yeah, that's maximum. 
um, you know, where um, that now, will be enforced under certain circumstances. Now, some it really depends on the contract, too, because some of them can be overreaching, right? Yes. As you said. And it depends. Certain states are called blue pencil states, and certain states are not, meaning if you overreach, the court will cut it back down to what's reasonable, blue pencil it, make it, mm-hmm. and do it. Other states say if you overreach, that's it. You, and right? what if they, they, the they decide oh. it is reasonable? Um, so it's state by state basis and often um, industry by industry where you if you actually enforce it you will get into an argument about case law and precedent and trying to prove this exact circumstance this is what's reasonable and this is what's not um, and you know ultimately probably comes down to lawyering and right. you know all of, and, and time and cost and money um, but like California will not enforce them at all. I believe Massachusetts recently just passed a law that they will not enforce them either. New York will. Oh, California won't enforce them? No, California is the most anti-non-compete state of any well, state. Well, huh. probably the most liberal state yeah. in the nation. So I could like go one. work from Uber and Lyft. I'm assuming those are both based in California. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, so what I'm hearing here is employers don't really have any reason not to make them as overreaching as possible. Well, it depends. So it depends what state they're in mm-hmm. because if you have if you're in a blue pencil state, they'll overreach, and then worse comes to worse, the court will pull it back. Um, if you're not in a blue pencil state, they worse it. But I will say, ninety percent of employers have no intention or desire. They're not going to get in a lawsuit over this. What they're going to do is call your next employer, um, and I've had many clients actually who have um, have done this. Um, they find out that somebody left who is fairly high up and has gone to work for a competitor. They will call the employer, uh, send a legal note. I want to put you on notice that this employee is subject to this agreement. Therefore, I'm going. You know, you shouldn't be hiring them, and I'm going to sue you too if you hire this person or I'm going, depending on the industry and some tech, I'm going to have a very good argument that any tech that you develop is a, is a infringement of my IP because I'm going to have an argument that it was developed by mm, my employee true. while he was here and that he brought here. It's going to taint your products. That's so and, true. Um, and tech in particular, I had a lot of clients to me that said, we won't sue on the employment. We're going to sue on the IP. We're going to say that it's that you infringed our IP and we're going to prove that the ideas for whatever you developed came from us. Every employer says that risk, no person is worth that risk. No. You're out and they won't hire you. So, so it's really a, most employers put it in not to enforce it. And they don't, most employers don't even want to do that. They want to put it in as a deterrent to the employee not to leave. They want the employee to feel that they do not have the freedom to just jump ship so easily. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a, it's a certain type of protection that they should put in. Yeah. I mean, I would, you know, and, and now, some, even employees side. who feel it's not enforceable, they think twice a little bit before they leave because of it. So representing the employer, you should always put it in there. But So, rep, so representing the flip side, yeah. f- do you have any advice that without giving away too much for employees who are faced with mm-hmm. the proposition of signing a... Um, I mean, it all depends on your leverage in the situation. If you have a job and or have other offers and you can negotiate, um, you know, I would say it doesn't hurt to ask. I would try and negotiate it. And sometimes you can get a 
just by trying to negotiate, they'll be like, yeah, we'll throw a little bit more money at you just to shut up and sign it. <laughs> um, and we've had some who come back and said, okay, you know, fine, I'll sign it. Um, we've had some where, look, this is a very small industry. I'm coming from a competitor. You know, I might go somewhere else. I, you know, I, I don't want to have this hanging over my head. And they really do think, and, and it is something to negotiate. And I would recommend negotiating it um, just so that you don't have that heading over your head because if there is a real possibility that you will go to a competitor, your employer very well may call them and tell them about it and it may prevent you from getting your next job. But you have to have leverage. I mean, you have to have the ability that what if you fight this and your employer says, I'm, I'm put off by it because I feel like you're already looking to your next job, you're already out the door, you're not committed, and well, how I would you respond to that? Anymore. Would you just say, "Well, I need to future-proof my, no, you know, my I mean, career"? You, you, I'm 100 percent here. I don't. I mean, one question is, do they make it apply across the board, or only if you quit? Do they make it apply even if you're fired? You know, no, you could point. say, you know, this is an employment at will situation, and I'm fully committed, just like you're fully committed, but you know, things happen, you never know, you know, and then maybe you get a carve out, it only applies if you leave without good reason or something like that. Um, But, or maybe only, you know, after a certain period of time, you know, let's build up a trust relationship and, you know, I understand that, you know, I want to be here, I'm going to be here, let's put a time limit on it. And you can usually say, you know, I'm going to be here for the next three or four or five years, but who knows what's going to happen seven years from now. And, you know, to have this hanging over my head, you know, that is a burden on me. And if, you know, sometimes you can say, if you want to, you know, compensate me in some other way, you know, I may be open to that, but you're, you're taking something from me. You're taking an opportunity, um, you know. And it really depends on the industry. You can say, you know, in our particular industry, you know, um, it's a small industry, um, you know, the opportunities are limited. Um, this is where I want to be. This was my first choice. This is where I chose to be. But, you know... Um, so, the if, gist I'm getting here is if you're a receptionist, maybe... <laughs> maybe not as important. Yeah. Yeah, it's case by case. a VP... Yes. Possibly oh, very important. Oh, 100%. No company is going to ever care to enforce it unless they feel you're high enough up that you, yeah. you're, you know... And most of the time, they only want to enforce it because they're angry that you left. Oh, really, so retaliation. It really, in, in practice, it's they're angry that you left. I don't know how much they're actually really scared about losing their yeah. stuff. I mean, sometimes they are, but most of the time, if you get to the bottom of it, there's an emotional hurt there that they feel betrayed, that they feel like, I thought, like every time I've had a client that wants to enforce it, it's, I thought we were in this together. I, 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 you know, gave them my, you know, creativity and my thoughts and we worked together to build this company. And I assume that that's smaller type companies that are like single owner. No, even some bigger ones because the C-suites are Mm. still small. Like Uh I have some public company that tried to enforce it. Their employee left to go to another massive public company where I'm like, it's basically like saying you can't work. Yeah. I mean, but the, the C-suite, um, or sometimes in tech in these little bubbles of the people really working on the high-level mm-hmm. stuff together, at the end of the day, it's four or five people that, you know, really felt they were part of a team and they felt betrayed. And I will also assume that they probably have a policy in place that they will enforce these 
exactly. negotiate these contracts. I mean, and as a company, time. you know, you you make that a general policy, right. or you don't, so that you don't have selective enforcement. Mm-hmm. I mean, anything should always be a policy, so that yeah, because if you selective enforce, then we can. It did detracts from your argument. Yeah. Right. Well, and it also your your argument for enforcement circle. is always that it's nece- the court only will enforce it if it's necessary to protect your trade secrets. And when they see that the motive is not really to protect your trade secrets, but it's more personal, then that then you lose credibility. So if that let's just go into that scenario really quickly. If that were to happen, can there be a counterclaim for discrimination or, well, or I, I, wrongful? In, you quit in the situation, right? So no. So there is no damage. There is no damages, okay. but um, I mean, you might be able to get attorney's fees for a, gotcha. you know, a, 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 <laughs> that's our <laughs> legal advice cost. But um, yeah, I mean, I think you know it goes it goes both ways too in the employment because you say I thought we were in this together and I felt betrayed. You say I thought we were in this together. I thought you were going to treat me better as an employee. Why did I leave? <laughs> that's a topic for another day. <laughs> <laughs> you know, if we were in this together, I wouldn't have left if I felt that I was. You know. Topic for another day. Cool. Treated well. All right. Thanks.